Welcome to Cannabis Health Radio, a podcast where we share stories from people around the world who are using cannabis as medicine. The information is meant to raise awareness about the health benefits of cannabis, which should not be taken as medical advice. Now, here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yelland. Today we're talking to a woman who lives in northern Canada who is using cannabis to treat a rare autoimmune disease. It was given its name in 1932, and it's called, I know I'm going to butcher this, but Vote Koyanagi Harada Syndrome. It's a rare disorder of unknown origin that affects many body systems, including the eyes, ears, skin, and the covering of the brain and spinal cord. The most noticeable symptom is a rapid loss of vision. There may also be neurological signs such as severe headache, vertigo, nausea, and drowsiness. Loss of hearing, loss of hair and skin color occur with the whitening of the hair and eyelashes. And joining us from Fort Simpson, in Canada's Northwest Territories is Pamela Horsey. Pamela, I just want to, to give listeners an indication of how far north Fort Simpson is. Now, if they visualize the Canada-U.S. border at the state of Montana, head north about a thousand miles and you'll find Fort Simpson. Pamela, how long have you lived there? So I've lived in Fort Simpson for about eight years. Prior to that, I was living in Yellowknife. Northwest Territories, but I was actually born in Fort Simpson. Oh, interesting. Now, during the summer, do you get some periods where you get no darkness, and in the winter you get some periods where you get no light? Absolutely. So right now we are past the point of the 24-hour daylight, so we're starting to get dark in the evenings now, around 10.30, 11. Um, I imagine where you guys are, it gets way darker, way faster right now. So winter time, we have a period of maybe about where I live, about four hours of sunlight, and then it's dark again. Wow. So we're going to work in the morning, it's dark, and we're leaving work, and it's dark. <laughs> yeah. Now, this syndrome, Vot Koyanagi Harada, is that the correct pronunciation? Nowhere close. <laughs> <laughs> You're saying it as good as I could. I pronounce it myself as Boy Koyanagi Harada Syndrome, or VKH for short. Yeah, let's call it VKH. It's much easier. Now, take us through this. When were you first diagnosed? So I was first initially diagnosed with it in June of 2001. So I was, I was about 21 at the time. I believe if I would have got sent to see a specialist sooner, they would have caught it in time. It might not have progressed the way it had. So at that time, I had hit the third stage of that, which is uh, you have temporary retinal detachment on top of a bunch of other things that are making you quite sick. Now, you, you talked about the retinal detachment. What were some of the other symptoms that you were experiencing? So when I initially first got sick with VKH, they they had thought I was just having a like a mild inflammation in my eyes, like it's called uvitis, 
And like my, my eye on my right side was quite red. It was really bothersome. I, at the time, was wearing contacts, so I kind of thought that might have had something to do with it. So I made sure to remove my contacts a few days before my initial appointment to see, like, what was wrong. But at first, they thought it was uvitis and had given me two different kinds of medication, like a, a topical steroid drop that I put in my eyes and something else that helps with the dilation that which would help with the the inflammation that was going on in my eyes. So one of the symptoms of this disease as it goes through the stages is one of them is you have the temporary retina detachment. And the reason why that's happening is because you're now having reversal of your spinal fluid is starting to reverse now. So they don't know what starts the disease. It's an autoimmune disease that all of a sudden just starts one day. The best way I can explain it, plainest terms, was that it was an autoimmune disease that just started one day. Now my eyes are trying to fight off an infection that's not there. So I have an overproduction of uh, white blood cells in my eyes trying to fight an infection that's not there. It connects to a bunch of other stuff like your like your ears with your brain, other symptoms and stuff that you can have, like you had mentioned with the the lightening of the skin and hair and vertigo, other things like that. Pam, how many people a year are diagnosed with this? I don't have an idea. Like I, I know when I first got diagnosed, mind you, this was in 2001. So this was almost, this was over 20 years ago. I was told at that time because the way, as I got very sick, uh, the, the eye doctor in the north here was having a hard time trying to diagnose it because it's a it's a rare disease. So I'm not sure if he had seen it at that point in time, but when I had got sent down to see the specialist in Alberta, he had mentioned to me I was about the fifth or sixth person in Canada to get it at that time. It's kind of all over the place. Like there's there's other people that are within other countries all around the world who also have this disease. There's like a support group on Facebook that, that I found within the last like maybe eight or nine years now that's got quite a few members on there from all over the world. I've never heard of it. How about you, Ian? You ever heard of it? No, I've, I've never heard of it either. And I think it's really interesting that Pam wanted to share her story. Pam, over the last 20 years, what was the lowest point for you? Oh, wow. So I had, like, when I had first got diagnosed, it was at that point, like I said, I I had hit in the third stage of that where the the retina detachment was happening. And at that point in time, like, you can't see because you're losing spinal fluid. You're also having issues controlling your legs because now you're losing that fluid out of your spine. That was very scary, all of that. Having to get sent down to the closest like specialized facility or anything like that. Like I live in the Northwest Territories. If we have to see specialists, we have to get sent down to Alberta for that, like normally Edmonton. So I was sent down to Edmonton when I had seen the eye specialist. Like it was amazing because I think he was starting to see that more often in his clinic as a specialist. So within a few minutes of me being in that clinic and him checking me out. He said, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is what I think it might be. We should admit you to the hospital for testing. Over a period of years, they were trying to control the, the eye disease itself, like because what it was doing was it was causing me to flare-ups in my eyes. So I was having issues seeing and you get these like fuzzy spots in your vision. I had gotten to the point where I was taking quite a bit of like prednisone medication to help control the 
eye disease itself. That in turn was starting to make me bloat because of like you retain water when you're taking prednisone on top of that. There's a whole bunch of damage that happens. Like There's after effects depending on how long you're taking it. I had taken it for a few years. So there was a period of time where I was going through like depression because of my appearance, because I couldn't see. I was having real issues in all with dealing with all of this. I was also like a very young woman at the time. I was only 21 21, 22, when I was going through that period of medication, that was just like very having to take a lot of stuff for a lot of different things and trying to control the, I guess, the intensity of the disease at that point in time. So over the years, taking this prednisone along with other things like the the eye disease started to, I just, I guess, lessen to the point where it was like I, I could stop taking some of the medications that I was taking. You must have thought that being a 21, 22-year-old woman who was going through this, you must have thought, what the hell is happening to me? My life is just eroding. That was my comment. I just can't imagine. It was. At that point in time, like I was on my way to finishing high school. I was on my way to college. Like My life was opening up before my eyes. At that point in time, when, when I got sick with this, I was not going to school. Like I was actually working at Subway and like you have benefits, but it's, it's not anything near what you really need in terms of like healthcare and stuff like that. It was a really scary time because you, at that point in time, you don't really know what to do. You're just going off the advice of older people and physicians who know these things, right? And you want to listen to them and, you know, take that, take all of that into consideration when you're thinking about your own health and stuff, right? Especially when you're so young like that. So it sounds to me like this attacks at some level multi-systems. And you mentioned that you were on pregnizone and anybody who's been on pregnizone for any period of time at all can relate to what a horrible drug that is to be on. But what's their usual mode of treating people besides pregnisone? What else do they generally do? So now within that VKH support group that, that they have on Facebook, a lot of those people that are on there right now are, are active therapies going through, like they might have been diagnosed within the last year or so or just recently. A lot of the medication that you can hear that they're taking is like, like methotrexate is one. And these are really heavy, like like prescriptions for arthritis and other things like that, right? So that's the one I hear a lot. I honestly, I can't share more on medication and stuff like that because like I had mentioned in the email that I sent you guys, I've, I've been in remission now for about 10 years with the eye disease. So point in time when I was in my 20s getting treated for it, like that was the main medication that I was taking was prednisone on top of a, a bunch of other things, something to help with the acid in my stomach. And I was taking pain medication because I was having a lot of pain in my joints because of the prednisone and uh, you're taking eye drops on top of that. And depending on how bad the infection is in your eyes at the time, you could be taking it almost hourly or every other hour and you're constantly putting drops in your eyes. Like it, There's a lot of different things that could happen with this disease. It's not just with your eyes. It's with the fact that it's such a rare disease. There are a lot of specialists that don't know a lot of things 
even still that that will help it. Like I said, just being on that support group and reading some of the posts that other people are putting on there about the, the kinds of medication that they're taking and they're feeling really awful and like it's making them feel way down and yeah. Now, so is this a progressive disease? It's kind of sounding to me like it is. And is this something that is eventually fatal or is there just, and also are there drugs to implications fix it or are all these drugs really just symptoms? I guess it would depend on what stage you are with this disease, right? Like, cause if you, if you catch it early, um, with the uveitis and stuff, and then you, you start progressing more. Like, I believe they're starting to catch it earlier now, but I, it, again, like I said, it's such a rare disease. It depends on the clinic that you're going to, how much that they really know about that disease itself and researched it. I find that there's a lot of people who talk about the fact that they, they get referred to a specialist, but then the specialist doesn't really know what they're looking at as well, because like you guys said, it's a very rare disease. How much is actually known on it right now. And like, it's still developing, I feel like, every day. Mm-hmm. Is there a genetic component to this? Do you know? In some of the early studying, they're talking about how it does affect different ethnic groups, like uh, like Native Americans, African Americans, like American people, Asian people. Uh, there's a big population of it, I believe, in Asia. I know with the specialist that I see in Alberta, he had mentioned to me that he is starting to see it quite more frequently now as well. So when I first got diagnosed, I I was probably a handful of people. Now, like the the clinic, it sounds like there's quite a few clients that or patients that have the same eye disease as well. Pam, you said in the notes you sent us that you've been in remission since 2012 and you based this on your cannabis consumption. How did cannabis enter the picture for you? When I got diagnosed in my early 20s, I did not smoke cannabis at that time. It was a few years after that I had started smoking like recreationally. And at that time, like I, I honestly, I couldn't say if the two were are correlated together, but that could be at the same time that I was getting off of the medication as well. Like I was lowering the dose of the prednisone and the other medications I was taking because eventually they want your eyes at a stable state where it's not flaring up all the time because every time that you're reducing your prednisone amount, you have flare-ups. And I think that's why that whole process was taking so long. But at the same time, I had started recreationally smoking cannabis. And my my eye disease had gone away. I was not taking eye medication or anything like that. And I had stayed like that for a few years. I was having the regular appointments that I had to. And because of the eye disease, I do have to have regular checkups. And for a really long period of time there, everything was just kind of normal. And I wasn't having to take meds. There were a few times where I had flare-ups that I would have to take eye drops again and then stop. But I had been smoking for a few years by then. And I had decided I was going off to university. I was going to get my degree. I wanted to study on this clear head because at that point in time, I was just smoking recreationally. So I had stopped all of that. I had moved away to Saskatchewan for university and within a few months, I started getting very sick with my eyes again, thinking I'm having this flare up, but it felt different this time because I, I, it wasn't just a flare up. I was, I was having actual problems with my vision. Like if I can put this idea in your head, if you can think about when you first wake up in the morning and you've had like a really good sleep, 
you have those fuzzies in your eyes and then you kind of rub your eyes, you wake up and you rub those away and that goes away. The fuzzies in my eyes and it just like did not go away and over a period of a few days it started getting worse. I did have the sense to contact my specialist before I was leaving for university and I asked him if he would be able to help me find a specialist in Saskatchewan. I was worried if something was going to happen, like if I were to have a flare-up, if I could see a specialist right away. But he had lined that up for me so that I had somebody to contact while I was there. So when this issue happened, it was in February, and I immediately made an appointment, and I got in to see the specialist the next day because I was panicking. Like, why, why is this happening? After so many years, I was also so far away from home, wondering, like, what was happening, and... I was kind of in a state of panic. I was talking with the, the doctor and as we were sitting there discussing, she said, have you had any kind of lifestyle changes? Like, have you changed medications? Have you, like, how, are you doing anything differently? And I said, I'm not doing anything differently. Like, we went through my medication. I said, I'm still taking the same meds I'm taking that I had to before. Like, I had smoked cigarettes at the time and I was explaining to her, like, I, I smoked cigarettes. I haven't stopped that. I did drink alcohol at the time and I was like, I don't even really partake down here because I don't feel comfortable. I don't know anybody, so I don't even really drink. And I kind of trailed off and, you know, I looked at her and I said, I stopped smoking pot. And she kind of looked at me funny and I said, I did not change anything out of the norm in my life except for I had stopped smoking cannabis when I moved down here. And I said, do you think that could be something? Because at that point in time, like there was, there was, you know, like there were studies out there and stuff like that. They already knew about glaucoma helping with um, eye pressure and stuff like that. So there, there were a few like medical studies that were being done. So like I, I looked at her kind of like, like, could this be a thing? And she said, it very well could be like, if we can't explain it anywhere else, this is something that I really think you could be onto something. And from there, it just, it just made me realize that my recreational smoking was what was keeping me healthy all of that time. It was like something was born from then, like my passion, my, my direction, everything has changed since then. Because once I made that revelation, like I wanted to share that with people and let them know that I think. Like, I, I legitimately think I'm onto something here. I think you are, too. As you were mentioning glaucoma, the best way to deal with glaucoma with cannabis is smoking it. And that will lower the pressure in the eyes. I had to start taking the medication again because, like, I was down in Saskatchewan. And they found out that I, I was, in fact, having this flare-up and stuff like that. So I had to start taking the prednisone and the, the eye drops and start doing that therapy again to help get the, like the flare up that was happening in my eyes, get that to, to slow down and stop. I had sought out a prescription for cannabis a few years back after bringing it to the specialist again, because this, at this point in time, I, I had just kind of kept it to myself. I had mentioned it to the local eye doctor in the Northwest Territories, but he didn't want to have anything to do with it. So I had to push forward and by luck, had found the clinic that I worked with to do the study. Pamela, how much do you smoke a day? Okay, so I, I smoke maybe about two to four grams a day. 
I quit smoking cigarettes quite a few years ago and I find I'm also helping kind of stave that off. I enjoy smoking joints. I don't, I don't vape or anything like that. So I kind of enjoy the, the paper in my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you take edibles at all or anything else? Capsules or tinctures, things like um, that? Yeah, I do. I have a, a wide range of products actually that I take because the years of taking the prednisone, I had developed secondary osteoarthritis in one of my hips. This is something new in the last few years that that I've figured out. So I I use edibles for pain management. I also have topicals for yeah, like pain management on the spot. I have. CBD that I take for sleep. Well, that, that that's good. I think what you've, uh, I mean, you've stumbled on this, I don't want to say it's a cure, but it helps ameliorate some of the severe symptoms you have. You kind of stumbled on this by accident, and I think that is quite remarkable. Because where do you think you would be now if you hadn't uh, discovered cannabis 10 years ago? I imagine I would be still quite sick. And like I said, it depends on... I think the severity of the di- of the disease and how how you like if you're able to find out that you have it sooner than later than more in this disease so that way like there I could rightfully be very sick some of the other people who have the disease like there there are numerous things that are going on like there they could be having patches of skin a lot of people are on disability they're not able to work because they're just so they're so sick from the medication that they're taking top of that, the symptoms of the disease, like depending on what you're dealing with, like there's so many other things that you could get. Like I, I had vertigo a few years ago, which was really kind of scary. That lasted from start to finish about five or six days. There are a lot of people who have it on a regular basis. There are some people who actually can't even work like a full-time job or anything like that. I definitely feel like my life would be way different if I didn't make this discovery. Like I thought it was something and I have a friend of mine who has a young son who was also diagnosed with it. Getting to talk to her about it one day, her son at about 18 months old was starting to exhibit symptoms of it already, but they weren't sure what it was. I think it was by the time they, he was three is when they finally figured out that he had VKH. It's progressed quite a bit now to the point where he's had to have surgery on his eyes to help with alleviating the the pain or the the, the vision loss and stuff like that. So like it, it stemmed me in a direction that I wanted to share this with people because I also got very I got very sick with all the medication I had to take because of the eye disease. And I didn't want other people to go through that. If there was an alternative because all the the prescriptions that you're taking, like you're you're literally having to take two for maybe your eye disease and then you're taking six or seven on top of that because you're fighting a whole bunch of other symptoms that you're now getting because of this medication. Whereas cannabis, there's no side effects with it. Like I've been keeping my eyes in a really healthy state all of this time and I felt like it was important that people knew that. I felt like I was really discouraged by my first first person I had talked to about it because it just seemed like such a far-fetched idea and you you almost lose your steam on wanting to pursue it more but like I said I had accidentally stumbled upon it by phoning a clinic down in Alberta and I was waiting on hold 
listening to the, the recorder thing and they were talking about how the, the clinic was on the newest and innovative research and development and this is where we're located, yada, yada, yada. And it just kind of kept repeating. I was on hold for a few minutes and <laughs> I was sitting there thinking like the reason why I was phoning the clinic was I wanted to find out if they had any more information on BKH since since I was initially diagnosed because they hadn't really shared any information with me and I, I hadn't really asked for it either. But when I had gotten off hold and the receptionist came back on the phone, I had told her that I, I, I was phoning about a question, but now I have a whole slew of other questions because I heard your, your recording thing and I just mentioned to her, like, I feel like I might be onto something here. Is it possible to somebody phone me back because I've been in remission with VKH now because of cannabis? And I just wanted to mention it to somebody. She took down my name and within about a half an hour, I had the head of research and development phone me because she was very interested. She had spoke with one of the doctors. He was very interested. They wanted to know if they would be able to meet with me sometime and just happened to be going down to Alberta within a couple of weeks from that phone call. And I said, is it possible that you guys can fit me in? Um, like I'm going to be there from this period to this period. Can I get an appointment? So they had managed to set up a meeting with me and I just kind of presented myself and said, I was brought to that same clinic when I first got diagnosed with that eye disease. So the doctor I was seeing at the time was actually the first doctor who had diagnosed me with the disease. He was kind of amazed because like my file had stopped with that clinic, like something about like 15 years prior. And he had no other information on me because the Northern Clinic wasn't sharing it with them. And so he wanted to know like how my eyes were. And they check your eye pressures and your eyes really quickly. They take a couple pictures before you actually have your appointment with a specialist. So he was reviewing these things and he said like, your eyes look really good and quiet, meaning like like the, the inflammation is down. There's not a lot of the cells floating around because that's a like scarring from the past, from the eye disease. If you still have these, like how they can tell that you're having a flare up is you're you're getting more white blood cells than normal. And that's what they're looking for when they look in, into your eyes when you go for your eye testing. And he had noted that like I was not having a lot of activity going on and he started asking me like, are you on any kind of medication for the eye disease? And I wasn't like the medications I was taking at the time were for other things. So he's like, you're not taking eye drops. You're not taking anything. Do you recall the last time you had a flare up? And at that time, it, it had been a few years, so as I was mentioning all this stuff to him, he was getting very interested. He thought that it would be a good idea to go forward with maybe like a study because that's the kind of thing that they're doing at that clinic. So when I had left there, what they were going to do is they were going to keep track of my eye appointments and the reports that were coming from that were getting sent directly down to their clinic so that they can view these. So I had just recently seen an eye technician who, who's known me a majority of my eye disease and I've known him a majority of his career and he said like my eyes at present are the best he's ever seen them. Yeah, that is fantastic. You just keep doing what you're doing. Pam, in your, in your support group you're in, given that this you know presents in a number of ways, are any of the people in your support group that you're aware of using cannabis? And if so, what kind of results, if any, are they getting? 
So I actually really wanted to get this study done. I initially had gotten some just kind of like advice, like if you you want to get this study going, you need to get a control group going. So you need to have at least four or five people that you feel are within the same aspects of you. You know, like you have BKH, you've been using cannabis, you feel it might be helping. So within that BKH support group, I had posted a video and I had mentioned all of this stuff in this video. I had mentioned to them that I was looking for people who feel that they were smoking cannabis or ingesting cannabis as well and they feel like it was helping for them. Video, I had gotten about five or six people that were from kind of all over the place because like I said, this is a, a worldwide group. So when I brought all of this information back to the research people and I told them like I have a control group of people that are all over the place, but because VKH was starting to really become more common in the North, what the clinic wanted to do is they wanted to base it out of their own clinic based on the, the clients that they already had or the patients that they already had. So that study, when it was dispersed, it was dispersed to his clients and that was with a, within a clientele of Western Canada. So within that group, at least out of the 18 that they committed to the survey and everything like that, there were four that were actively using cannabis and they were actively feeling like it was helping. So that's just within a small group within like Western Canada that they're doing this right now. Pam, it's uh, been great of you to share your story. We really appreciate it. It's a very rare disease, and hopefully your story will help someone else who may be listening around the world. And uh, thanks for reaching out. We greatly appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for taking the time. Like, I, I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Cannabis Health Radio. For more information and to search previous podcasts, visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com. Subscribe so you don't miss new episodes. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This podcast is made possible by donations from our listeners. If you found the information helpful, please consider making a donation in any amount through our website. You can also help us share our message by leaving a review on your podcast listening platform. We are very grateful for your support. Thank you. listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, host of Casually Baked the Podcast. If you're curious to explore the highly responsible side of cannabis, farming, and legalization, I'm here to help lighten the stigma and build your canna confidence. Download episodes now of Casually Baked the Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And journey with me through the evolving cannabis culture and discover how and why people like you are adding cannabis to their wellness toolkit. It's time to get casually baked.